Uh, For those of us remaining in here this morning, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4. That is also printed for you in your bulletin. As you're turning there, I want you to think um, how you feel when you see someone doing a good thing, but you know they're doing that good thing for the wrong reasons. An example might be, just hypothetically, let's say it's the holidays and the in-laws come to visit and uh, you notice one in-law cleaning your kitchen for you, picking up your living room for you, and which in and of itself, that's a good thing. But you can just kind of sense that maybe they're not doing that from a pure motive. Maybe the message behind this in-law in your home over the holidays, cleaning up your kitchen, cleaning up your house for you, is that you need to get your act together and learn how to clean your house up. And there's sort of an air of judgment behind their good act of cleaning the house for you. And it just kind of sends this message that you're too messy, you're not enough, and that they've got it together. It irks us when we see someone doing a good thing, but we know it's not for a good reason. But yet, if we're honest with ourselves, um, we do that type of thing all the time. We'll do good things, but we'll do them for the wrong reasons. Jesus cares not just about what we do, but why we do what we do. And we've seen this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is a sermon that's all about the way of Jesus. And we see it um, time and time again that that following Jesus is not just about um, checking these external boxes of obedience to say that we're doing the right things, we're on the right path, but it's actually um, that this way of life, this way of following Him begins in our hearts, that He's after our hearts. So, so far in this sermon, it's, it's in Matthew 5 through 7 in the gospel. We've made it through chapter 5 and we're starting chapter 6 this morning. Um, Jesus is now moving from having just talked about all these really personal, like you could call them moral areas of our lives. Things like um, our character, our anger, our lust, our marriage and divorce. Um, and, and, and he's moving sort of from these moral areas, and he's getting into our religious lives now in chapter 6. In in the time that he was giving this sermon, there were considered three pillars of religious life. It would have been giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And and those three religious pillars are going to frame how he starts off chapter 6. And this morning, he is going to speak to the heart behind our giving in particular. So let me read this for us, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to us. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. And we just know that this is what we need most. We need to hear from you, and we beg you that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit this morning. 
So Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so the tension in the passage that we just read is that even when we do the right things, sometimes we do them for the wrong reasons, especially when it comes to our financial giving. And so two points this morning as we think about this. I'm going to talk about the wrong reason to give, and then secondly, the right reason to give. So first, the wrong reason to give. Jesus starts this passage with a principle. Look at verse 1. And this is going to guide the rest of the topics that he addresses. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he starts off by saying, All right, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Don't let your obedience to God become a show for other people. Um, what's he not saying? He's not saying to hide your obedience. Um, he just told us back in chapter 5, verse 16, to let your light shine before others so that what? So that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. So he's not saying to hide your obedience. It's okay to be seen obeying God. He's saying, but don't obey Him in order to be seen by others. He's drilling down to the heart motive. And he applies this to our giving and he gives us the, the, what's the wrong reason to give. What is it? The wrong reason to give is to do so in order to be seen by others. Verse 2, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. He's saying don't use your giving to the poor as an opportunity to boost your image. Don't do it so that people will comment about how generous you are. He says that's what hypocrites do. And that word hypocrite, it's a theatrical term. It has its roots in theater. And here's what um, the commentator Sinclair Ferguson says about it. He says, in ancient drama, actors did not wear makeup. They wore masks representing the parts they played. What a vivid picture that gives us of the hypocrite. He pretends to be one thing, but all the time uh, he is really something altogether different. His outward actions suggest that his whole heart is focused on the Lord, but his inward desires are for the recognition and the praise of men. He says, it is easy to hide this hypocrisy, yet so difficult to deal with it. It is deep-rooted in the human heart. Um, you see examples of this in a lot of different ways, but uh, sometimes you see this when a company is trying to boost their, their brand image, and so they will run um, entire TV commercials um, talking about how much they give or donate to a certain cause. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really moving music and pictures. And, it'll, you know, so-and-so corporation gave over $2 million this year to the Humane Society or whatever the cause is. Um, and then it'll say something like, because so-and-so corporation really cares. And these are top-notch commercials. They're really well done. So when you're watching them, you're pretty captivated. And maybe, like, you get emotional watching it. You're like, wow. Like, so-and-so corporation really does care. But then you sort of zoom out and you realize they just spent an entire ad talking about how caring they are as a company. And it just feels like they're just doing this to boost their image. They're boosting their brand in this moment. You know, and it's one thing to, to sort of use a platform to spotlight a charity, to encourage others to give, and that's great. But a lot of times it feels like those ads can just feel like it's just image boosting. 
Um, Forbes had an article about this entitled, Narcissistic Altruism, Doing the Right Things for the Wrong Reasons. And they said in this article, as one would expect, scientific studies show that altruism is often motivated by competitive status-enhancing drives, as well as a desire to look good in front of others. An analysis of large databases suggests that around 21% of donations are made anonymously, which as an aside, that was higher than I would have expected. They said 21% of large donations are made anonymously. They said, but only 2.3% are, are not attributable to egotistical goals. So that's essentially saying that according to the research, 2.3% of those gifts seem to be based on some kind of pure motive. I have no idea how you scientifically gauge that, but they did in this study. They said, likewise, public displays of cooperation and other oriented behaviors boost people's reputation, especially when there's a personal cost to individuals. And you hear that, and we don't need a study to prove that. We know that, because we see it in our own hearts. Um, so often our motives are really mixed when it comes to giving, where part of us really was, does want to do the good thing, give to the cause, and we also love the benefit of being recognized for it, um, where we're looking for kind of the win-win in the situation. How can we bless this particular need, but also kind of like be recognized for blessing that particular need. And often it shows itself in, in, in just little subtle ways in our lives, um, you know, making sure that we kind of mention passing the different charitable organizations we give to, or maybe just kind of commenting in passing about how much of our income we give away, or just maybe making sure that, that people, we find ways to let people know how generous we really are. And again, it's not necessarily that any of these things are necessarily wrong externally, um, but when we are doing these things in order to impress people or in order to boost our image, that's what Jesus is warning us against here. And in doing so, that can really expose our hearts, that we're really living to impress others rather than living out of a love for God. And this sort of thing in a, in, a, in a spiritual kind of church dynamic can be really challenging in a context in which church involvement and having a spiritual life is something that's culturally encouraged. Not just culturally acceptable, but culturally encouraged. Um, where it's the thing you're supposed to do, to do good things, to go to church, to give to charity. It can kind of round out the image that we're trying to build in a community where, where we begin to, it's, it's easy if we're not careful to do the good spiritual churchy thing in order to impress people and or, or in order to fit in within a particular community. Or maybe it's, it's sort of more close to home. We're just going through the motions of these things in order to impress a spouse or to please a spouse. Or maybe to, to potentially network for, for the business world that we're in. Or maybe to please our parents. We're just kind of going through the motions. Um, this is a type of thing that the religious leaders were doing with their giving to the poor in this context. Sounding the trumpets. Making sure everyone knew what they were doing. Why? Be because they loved God and loved the poor? No. Because they love it when people are impressed with them. And that's what they were living for. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be that kind of person. And why the warning? Um, because we're actually shortchanging this whole act of giving when we do it that way. He tells us the result of operating this way. What's the result? He says, your reward will be just that, that you will be praised by others. Look at the second half of verse 2. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. 
So the logic of it is that if you are giving in order to be praised by others, then when those other people praise you, that's the end of it. You have just experienced your reward no more. Here's how Ferguson summarizes the heart behind this. He says, this person is insecure before God and therefore seeks security in what his fellow man thinks about him. Insecure before God, so we seek security in the approval and recognition of others. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus says about the Pharisees in John chapter 5 that they seek the glory that comes from other people, from one another. They don't seek the glory that comes from God. John 12, he says something similar, that they loved the glory that came from man more than the glory that came from God. And that's really tempting for us too. Why? The glory that comes from other people feels so much more real. It feels immediate. It feels really tangible. Um, Because we all have this approval void. Um, And when when someone affirms us or is impressed by us, it can be like the shot of adrenaline to our souls. It feels so good to be recognized. And you combine that with the fact that we really struggle to believe that God is pleased with us, so we just go hunting for the approval of others in all these different ways in our lives, or we just can do whatever it takes to fill that void, which can ultimately be self-serving. It makes it all about us. It makes even our giving become about us rather than for God or for others. Um, the late pastor Charles Spurgeon used to tell this story called The Carrot and the Horse. It goes like this. He says, once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in a land. One day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this and he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? The next day the nobleman came before the king. He was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Jesus is saying, don't make the act of giving all about you. Don't make it into a gift to yourself. That's the wrong reason to give. What's the right reason to give? Second point. Look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Before we get into the right motives, look at the beginning of verse 3. When you give, not if you give. Um, the assumption for both the religious leaders of the day whom Jesus is critiquing and for his actual disciples in the front row who he was speaking to, um, the assumption is that they are giving to the poor. 
Jesus is not saying, remember those three pillars of, of religious life, giving, prayer, fasting. He's not saying those are unimportant or that they should be stopped. He's assuming they are doing those and will continue to do those, give, pray, and fast. Um, and just on that note, it might be good to sort of zoom out on this passage and for a moment and ask, am I giving to the poor? Am I giving to those who are in need? Um, and that may be, sort of, you may think about that through giving to resurrection that, is, that gets directed towards some of our partner ministries like Elias or the Miracle Hill Rescue Mission uh, or other organizations you're familiar with. It might be that you give directly to one of those organizations or a related organization. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you have a relationship with, with someone who is in need and so you're able to give directly in that way. Whatever it looks like, uh, care for the poor Giving to the poor is actually assumed and talked about throughout the Bible. Uh, Psalm 112, in the description of the, the, the righteous person, it says they are someone who has given to the poor. It sort of it kind of fills out the picture of what the righteous person looks like. It's, it, they're in the business of giving to the poor. Luke 14, Jesus says, when you have a feast, who should you invite? Not those who can repay you, but invite the poor who can't repay you. Galatians 2, Paul talks about being eager to Remember the poor. It's all over the scriptures. And that's the backdrop for Jesus' words here. When you give to the poor. So assuming that we're doing that, how does he say we should do that? What's the heart he's getting at behind it? He says, be so secretive that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Which is the complete opposite of the public display of sounding the trumpet. Um... He's saying find ways to give to those who are in need so that no one knows about it. Not even really you. But your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Um, what could possibly motivate us to sacrifice our own hard-earned resources for someone else and not even get credit for it? You know how it feels when someone else gets credit for something you've done? Uh, that's not a fun feeling when someone else gets recognized for something that you, that you originate, you know, whatever the case may be. What about when we do something good, uh, you know, especially related to giving, and, and we don't even get credit for it? Um, how, what can motivate us to do that? It really comes down to what we love. It comes down to what we love. If we love the recognition and praise of others, we will find a way to make it public because that's what we love. We love that recognition more than anything else. But if we love God more than anything else, we will not feel the need to tell anyone because we know who our audience is. So what's the right reason to give? Here it is. The right reason to give is because you love God. In the words of the psalmist, you have tasted and seen that he is good. Um, you've followed that path of Jesus and you've realized this is a really, really good path. I love this path, and I love Jesus. And um, because you love God in your heart, you actually begin to want to give in secret. It makes you giddy thinking about someone receiving a gift or a real need being met um, or, and someone feeling blessed by it and them having no idea where that gift came from. It actually brings you joy to think about that. Um, a lot of our family lives out of town, and so... At Christmas time, um, the out-of-town family will often mail uh, Christmas presents to us to give to our kids. And my wife came up with this great idea years ago where we stack all of the presents, um, 
both from us and from the rest of the family together in these big stacks. And so when my kids uh, walk down the stairs on Christmas morning, what they see is just three big stacks of presents all for them. And it's sort of blurry as to who the actual gifts are from. And they'll, and they'll just start, it looks, makes us as parents not look so bad. But as the, as, the, as the kids start tearing into these presents, occasionally they'll look up and they'll say, wait, who got me this? And usually I have no idea. And so I'll look to Erin and, and she'll tell them. And they're like mildly interested, but then they just kind of throw it to the side and they're off to the next thing. But you're watching this whole scene go down as a parent. And, and you're not concerned about whether they whether it was Aunt Sally or you that got the gift and whether you get credit or you don't care who gets credit. Why? Because you love your child and watching the joy of them open these presents and have those needs met and those, those desires, those things they've asked for fulfilled, that's the gift. You love your kid. It doesn't matter if you get credit or not. It's the heart of love behind it. Love for God, which always leads to love for others, is the right reason to give. And that love will motivate us to do it in secret. And that love will actually transform our hearts to where we begin to care less and less about what other people think about us. And and the more that that we are filled with God's love, the less we're going to care about our image or our reputation with other people. Because we're no longer obeying to boost our image or to impress others, we're doing it because we just really love God. And we really love others. John Stott says that Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. That's the right reason to give, because you love God. What's the result of giving in secret? The result is that your Father will reward you. Look at the second half of verse 4. He says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is that reward? Because if you, if you stop and think about that for a moment, you can think, well, wait a minute. Isn't that just selfishly motivated? That's just like a different form of, of, of putting ourselves at the center. If we're only doing good things, we're only obeying God in order to be rewarded by Him to ultimately, maybe it's not recognition now by people, but it's like, you know, to get a big prize later on. Doesn't that make it sort of inherently self-centered? Lots of people have weighed in on this. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about it. He says the proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. Here's another way to think about this from John Stott. He says, what then is the reward which the Heavenly Father gives the secret giver? He says, it is neither public nor future. He says, it is probably the only reward which genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy. Namely, to see the need relieved. When through his gifts the hungry are fed, the naked clothed, the sick healed, the oppressed freed, and the lost saved, the love which prompted the gift is satisfied. Such love brings with it its own secret joys and desires no other reward. I came across a story about McPherson College. Uh, That's a small liberal, liberal arts college in McPherson, Kansas, uh, which is pretty much, if you look on a map, directly in the middle of the state of Kansas. Really small town, really small school, less than a thousand students. Um, the, the only bit of notoriety that McPherson College has gotten is because they have a four-year degree program in automotive restoration, which just sounds awesome, but it's gotten a lot of credibility for that. Um, but this school, it made nationwide news this summer when it received the largest anonymous gift ever 
donated, an anonymous donor pledged two $500 million donations totaling $1 billion to this school that started a matching campaign that raised all other kinds of money for this school. Um, to give any gift in the you know, million, multi-million dollar, dollar range um, is, is that's when you start getting your name on buildings around campus and you get like degree programs and schools named after you. Um, but this person wanted to remain anonymous. So, so we don't know who gave the gift. And it was interesting. I read two different articles about this anonymous billion dollar gift. And um, as, as I was reading these articles, I realized that the person who gave the gift was not the center focus of the article because they don't know who did it. Um, so what became the center focus of the article was McPherson College and all that this school was all about, which is exactly what the giver wanted. Um, rather than honor themselves, this anonymous giver honored this thing that they love, this school. What's the reward for them? The reward is seeing their school, which they love, flourish. Um, Giving in secret takes us out of the spotlight and it gives all the glory to God and, it, and to the one who receives the gift. Okay, so just very practically then, um, how could we leave here and, and give to the poor in secret? Just some ideas. Maybe an anonymous gift card to someone who you know that's really struggling financially. Uh, maybe um, it's sending a, a financial gift to a, to a missionary who raises money or a campus minister who raises money or even one of our local ministry partners and doing that anonymously. There's always a way that you can, you can do that anonymously. Um, or maybe it means even just setting up your own regular giving on auto pay so you're just not tempted to just dwell on the fact of how great you are every time you, know, you give a, a financial donation somewhere. Those are just some ideas. You know, you'll need to think about what that looks like for you personally. But at the end of the day, um, this isn't really about not talking about our giving. Um, there is a holy and right way to talk about our giving. Maybe we're helping others think through their personal finances and, and, and how, what it looks like to make sacrifices to give. Maybe you're talking to someone, they need sort of a model of how to do that and they need to hear from your experience um, sometimes when we advocate for a certain cause, if you tell others that you support a cause, it's a way to get others on board. Um, that's different. You, you can still do those things out of a love for God and a love for others with, with a right heart before the Lord. Um, one commentator put it this way when talking about our obedience. He said, hide when you're tempted to share and share what you're tempted to hide. So maybe that's a grid for our personal obedience to Jesus, to, to hide what we're tempted to share and to share what we're tempted to hide. You know, sometimes we're quiet about our obedience because we're ashamed. And, and true love for God and true love for others would mean speaking up about our obedience and sharing that with others. But other times we share about our obedience because we want to impress other people. And so maybe it starts with asking God just to show you your heart and to increasingly give you a heart that, that obeys and that gives out of a love for Him and a love for others. But... Rather than leaving here today thinking primarily about maybe your, your lack of giving to the poor or how you're going to start doing that differently, um, those are worthy things to think about and wrestle through. Um, but there's something that's even more transformative to think about that will actually have a greater impact on our giving. And that's for us to focus on Jesus. 
zoom out on this passage. What does this passage tell us about what Jesus is like? Um, It tells us that he is not superficial. Um, That he is not interested in image. That Jesus is not interested in a show. But that he is authentic. And that he's deep. And that he's real. And that he cares about the stuff that actually matters. And that may not be your experience of Christianity. That may not be your background with the church. Maybe it has just always felt like a, just like a club where people go and try to impress each other or they, where they go and they network with each other or where it's like a place where you can't really be real, you can't really answer questions honestly, you can't really tell people how you're doing. It just feels sort of fake and superficial and phony. You need to hear that this is not what Jesus is like. That he is really good and true and deep and beautiful. And you know, sometimes you get tastes of those attributes in people you meet where you just meet someone that just seems so authentic where, where you, you just feel like it's easy to be yourself around them. You don't feel like you have to put on airs. You don't feel like you have to impress them. It's so comfortable to be with them. They feel authentic. Like you just, you know that the, the, the important things matter to that person. And it's such a gift to be with people like that. You know, it feels like there's just a few of those people out there that we get to interact with. But do you see that in its fullness in Jesus? That he is beautifully authentic and real and good. And, And the more that we look at him and see that his teaching is not aimed merely at our externals, but actually at our hearts, this is when we begin to see what his heart is like. And it's beautiful, it's lovely, it's very lovable. And when our own hearts encounter his heart, we'll begin to become like him. We'll begin to love what he's like and become what he's like. And we'll begin to be taken with who he is and how he does things, with his realness, with his love, with his authenticity. And when we love him, that's when we will begin to love to obey him, even in secret. Even, it will begin to no longer matter what people think about us, whether they think we're greedy or generous. That's no longer a concern of ours because we have this love relationship with Jesus and we see his generosity and so we follow suit. And so we give generously and we do it all for him alone. Uh, This real, authentic, good Jesus is the one who offers himself to you today. Won't you receive him by faith? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you care about our hearts. You care about every single part of our lives, but you are especially interested in the why, in the thing that motivates us, in our, in our reason for following you. And thank you that what we see in Jesus is not a call to simply live in a superficial way, externally impressing others. But we see a deep, heartfelt love for the good and the true and the beautiful. And we see that love directed at us. So Father, would you in your kindness um, shine your light into our hearts? And would you just kindly and gently expose those ways in which we obey for the wrong reasons, for, for reputation or image? And and show us uh, what it would look like to have a deeper love for you 
that would lead to greater love for others and even hearts that give out of that very love. Father, thanks for your commitment to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take just a moment to uh, reflect and consider um, what God might be doing in our lives this morning as we prepare to meet Him at the table.